Welcome to the Learning Laborers Podcast, where we are passionate about integrating scholarship and ministry experience. Well, hello, Taylor. Good to see you again. Great to see you too, Denver. Always a pleasure. This is one of, oh yeah, always. This is one of those fun episodes where you get to be uh-huh. the uh, guest, we might say. Uh, mm-hmm. I get to interview you, hear some thoughts uh, from you on a particular topic you've been researching. Um, on a very interesting topic. Some might say a fringe topic, but oh, no. we're trying to bring it, bring it further into the limelight. Yeah. So we can discuss it and think about the implications. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listeners, they've probably already seen the title of the episode, so they know what we're talking about is aliens, <laughs> extraterrestrial life. Yeah, man. And what that does to our theology, um, the way we read the Bible, all that good stuff. So yep. I'm, I'm excited ex- to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think the more and more I've given attention to this the more interested i've become but also there's this stereotype like even like i'm sure people clicking on the episodes like they're talking about aliens like isn't that like (laughs) conspiracy theorists and all that stuff but yeah there's definitely a danger with this topic to to go too far right Mm -hmm. to get obsessed over it like like many sub genres or subtopics of theology you can easily get really really focused on it <laughs> and go too far but hopefully we'll find a good balance here but i'm i'm coming at the conversation of, as a as a genuine novice amateur i don't know a whole lot about what you're going to share so i'm excited my 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 knowledge of a- aliens and extraterrestrial life comes from movies like et <laughs> so so well, i'm excited I'm, yeah i'm certainly not an expert by any means but what i can share is Oh, man. I would say it's a little over a year ago. There was um, a member in the church that had listened to a few, like, podcasts or something or watched maybe a documentary or two and was asking my thoughts on possible, like, alien life and what that would mean for Christianity and the Bible and Jesus and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I don't really—I haven't thought about it. Um, But then there was, like, multiple people— that just we would come up in conversation and the topic would pop up again. And so it became more than just this like entertaining discussion and more of a serious thing that needs to be reckoned with. <laughs> and um, I think one of the things that we want to do in this episode is is frame up, especially for ministry laborers, why this isn't just a a topic for conspiracy theorists or entertaining discussion. Like this is actually brace for, I think it's a, it's a real opportunity to help in the theological education of our people to help them understand the Bible better and to have really engaging conversations with people. Like Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. It definitely gets us thinking in new ways, makes us ask new questions, which is always a good thing. So that's how I've justified my somewhat obsession over this topic. <laughs> cool. It felt a little weird, but one of the things that we wanted to do for learning labors is just, you know, present this. And uh, for this episode, we wanted to talk about the prominence of it. 
So I'm going to play a few clips from a recent um, congressional hearing that was done all about UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Oh. So yeah, first mate. for learning laborers, congressional hearing clips. <laughs> Exciting. People are like, oh, I'm definitely going to stay on and listen to this it's one. It's probably one of the few congressional hearings that people have actually tuned in to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say it's probably <laughs> probably the only one I've listened to. <laughs> um, but I, what I wanted to show is that this is a prominent issue and it's actually making sure. its way into the cultural conversation beyond just, you know, conspiracy theorists and certain... Yeah. You know, what do you call it when you go to like conventions about UFO sightings? Is it conventions? You call it conventions? I don't know. I mean, that's how much of a novice I am. I don't even know what, what the name is. Really? Anyway, so we what we want to do is kind of set up that this is a prominent conversation. And then I actually found some clips of how um, Christians respond to the possibility of alien life. Yeah. Uh, and so we're going to play a few of those and just react to them. And the way that I found those was just like, okay. If someone in the congregation is going to Google aliens in the Bible or something, right. what are the top results that come up on YouTube or yeah, Instagram? Yeah, pop up? So we kind of pulled some of those as well. So that's okay. the plan for this episode. Excellent. And then <laughs> we're, there's going to be a part two that listeners can look forward to. So it's that big of a topic. We had to, we got to split it up. So looking forward to it. All right. So yeah, let's start there. Should tell us why why should we care about this topic? Why is it gaining attention? Take it away. Yeah. So the first reason the first reason is that this is part of more of a, a popularized conversation that's happening. And I think one of the ways to show that is the the recent congressional hearing. So this comes this hearing comes from increased pressure from the public regarding sightings of um, UAPs. Did you know they're not called UFOs anymore, Denver? Uh, I had heard through the grapevine that that word was outdated, that that acronym was outdated, but I don't know what the correct one is. Yeah. So, UAPs. UAPs unidentified aerial, aerial phenomenon. Okay. Okay. And so there's been more sightings and uh, I think social media just blows up things a lot faster. So there's been more pressure sure. on this. And... Um, so the government actually held an open congressional hearing about this. So we're going to hear a few clips of, uh, there's three people that gave testimonies at this hearing. Uh, the first one is from, um, he's a former U.S. Navy pilot named Ryan Graves. Okay. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Today, I would like to highlight three critical issues that demand our action. As we convene here, UAP are in our airspace, but they are grossly underreported. These sightings are not rare or isolated. They are routine. Military aircrew and commercial pilots, trained observers whose lives depend on accurate identification, are frequently witnessing these phenomena. Parts of our government are aware of more about UAP than they let on, but excessive classification practices keep crucial information hidden. Since 2021, all UAP videos are classified as secret or above. This level of secrecy not only impedes our understanding, but fuels speculation and mistrust. In 2014, I was an F-18 Foxtrot pilot in the Navy Fighter Attack Squadron 11, the Red Rippers. And I was stationed at NAS Oceana in Virginia Beach. 
After upgrades were made to our jet's radar systems, we began detecting unknown objects operating in our airspace. At first, we assumed they were radar errors, but soon we began to correlate the radar tracks with multiple onboard sensors, including infrared systems, eventually through visual ID. During a training mission in Warning Area Whiskey 72, 10 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach, two F-18 Super Hornets were split by a UAP. The object, described as a dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere, came within 50 feet of the lead aircraft and was estimated to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter. The mission commander terminated the flight immediately and returned base. Our squadron submitted a safety report, but there was no official acknowledgement of the incident and no further mechanism to report the sightings. Soon, these encounters became so frequent that aircrew would discuss the risk of UAP hmm. as part of their regular pre-flight briefs. Some interesting things there. Yeah. What did you hear, Denver? I heard a, a black cube inside of a clear sphere or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. And, and so he says that there were two F-18s and they got split up by this UAP that was like a black cube. Like an Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, he says he reported it, but there was like no follow-up. It's like the government didn't say anything. And then... Um, but he does say that like on future flights, this was part of the briefing that you might encounter these. Right. So, um, interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah. So I'm guessing, I mean, some people would probably say, oh, what if that's technology of another Mm. country, another, you know, of human origin that we're not aware of. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So as we get on into some clips, there's a, there's a big clip from commander david fravor that's going to address that um but this whole idea of government secrecy i want to highlight it because yeah it's going to be important in a future episode um specifically on how one scholar leans in but okay this is what they're saying he's saying there's these navy pilots they're encountering encountering these things regularly yeah and the government's not reporting it so here's another testimony it comes from david grush He's labeled as a Pentagon UFO whistleblower. Like on the clip on <laughs> on CBS News, that was like the little subtitle. <laughs> okay. Pentagon UFO whistleblower, which I think, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but he, he explains how there's government secrecy around this issue. So this is what he says. Uh, I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade uh, UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program. Uh, to which I was denied access to those additional read-ons when I uh, requested it. I made the decision, based on the data I collected, to report this information to my superiors and multiple inspectors general, and in effect becoming a whistleblower. As you know, I've suffered retaliation for my decision, uh, but I am hopeful that my actions will ultimately lead uh, to a positive outcome of uh, increased transparency. Okay. So, the main point of that one, right? He's okay. in the Pentagon. He's made aware of a, he said, multi-decade program right. of non-human spacecraft tracking and collection, like the government's like collecting these or something. And sure. But, but he was denied access to it, and then I think he became a whistleblower, and he said he suffers retaliation or whatnot, but... Yeah. And this is UAP, so Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Uh-huh. They collect those. So I would assume some of them turn out to be, you know, they're unidentified when they get collected. They turn out to be other things, right? Like 
Hmm. Um, like a weather balloon or something? Yeah. Don't know. I'm guessing. Would those be included in that UAPs? Just anything they can't identify? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it could include those things. Okay. Maybe more advanced technology technology from like another country, I guess. But that's where this other this other testimony by David Fravor is really important because okay. he has one of the most detailed testimonies around um, an incident that happened. Um, yeah. And he's a very respected retired commander from, um, I think, the U.S. Navy. Yeah. It's not just some random dude, you know, out in the middle of the desert. Right. And at the time, they did collect video evidence and radar evidence of this event. So you can actually go out on the internet and find, like, the radar or video. It's like, you know, a radar image, but of this little thing that he calls a tic-tac bouncing around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to describe, and I think it's just worth playing the clip. Um, Again, this got famous because it's on, it was on Joe Rogan's podcast where he goes through this and it's featured on a documentary. So he kind of made the rounds in the media with it, with the story. Sure. Um, but he summarizes it for Congress. And again, don't lose sight. He's he's telling this to Congress people, like members up under oath with the government. So um, we're going to hear him summarizing it. And it's about two minutes. So there, uh, the controller told us that these objects uh, had been observed for over two weeks, coming down from over 80,000 feet, rapidly descending to 20,000 feet, hanging out for hours and then going straight back up. For those who don't realize above 80,000 feet is space. We arrived at the location at approximately 20,000 feet and the controller called Merge Plot, which means that our radar blip was now in the same resolution cell as the contact. As we looked around, we noticed that we saw some white water off our right side. It's important to note that the weather on this day was as close to perfect as you could ask for off the coast of San Diego. Clear skies, light winds, calm seas, no white caps from waves. So the white water stood out in a large blue ocean. All four of us, because we were an F-18F, so we had pilots and Wizzo in the back seat, Looked down a small, saw a white tic-tac object with a longitudinal axis pointing north-south and moving very abruptly over the water like a ping-pong ball. There were no rotors, no rotor wash, or any sign of visible control surfaces like wings. As we started clockwise towards the object, my wizard and I decided to go down and take a closer look with the other aircraft staying in high cover to observe both us and the tic-tac. We proceeded around the circle about 90 degrees from the start of our descent and the object object suddenly shifted its longitudinal axis, aligned it with my aircraft, and began to climb. We continued down another 270 degrees, nose low, where the tic-tac, or we consumed 270 degrees, and we went nose low to where the tic-tac would have been. Our altitude at this point was about 15,000 feet, and the tic-tac was about 12,000. As we pulled nose onto the object within about a half mile of it, it rapidly accelerated in front of us and disappeared. Our wingmen, roughly 8,000 feet above us, lost contact also. We immediately turned back to see where the white water was at, and it was gone also. So as we started to turn back towards the east, the controller came up and said, Sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is at your cat point roughly 60 miles away in less than a minute. You can calculate the speed. You can calculate the speed. Can I? 60 <laughs> yeah, miles. Actually, I cannot. Um, mile a second. <laughs> so, again, we played that long clip, but this is what he's describing. He's describing this little tic-tac. A tic-tac. That was basically following pilots around in uh, their planes. And it's yeah. right above the water, and then it's like jumping like a ping-pong ball. Like, boom, over here. Boom, over here. Boom, it's 80,000 feet up in space. 
then it comes back down and then it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. so it's just moving yeah. at crazy speeds now this speaks to what you were saying about are these UAPs like you know just other foreign technology other, yeah and that's where um, representative Nancy Mace poses this question to commander Fravor um, about like the physics of what he was witnessing um, okay a few questions for Mr. Favor. As an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics? The way we understand them, yes. Oh. So, what'd you hear, Denver? I heard that these objects are doing crazy stuff. Defying physics as we know it. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's what you have here. You have testimony of government officials under oath reporting to Congress that there's these things called UAPs that they don't have a category for. And well, I like uh, that he calls them Tic Tacs. I like <laughs> I like that nomenclature. Tic Tac. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you got Tic Tacs. From other galaxies visiting us. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be the implication, though, right? You've got these non-worldly spacecraft that our yeah. government's pilots are encountering. Yeah. That's definitely one interpretation of mm-hmm. the data. And um, it seems that the government is intentionally suppressing this, or has been for decades. And this goes back to, like... When, a, when some of the initial stuff was going on like in the 40s and the 50s with UFO sightings and all that, it was also like a big kind of government cover-up and all that stuff. Also a popular, you know, sci-fi trope. Uh, but one of the biggest kind of things to to enter, I guess, the cultural imagination about this is not that, oh, we have these crazy technologies that are happening but is there a possible extraterrestrial life? Mm-hmm. Probably the most shocking part that was all over the news was this question that um, Representative Mace was asking Mr. Grush. Okay, so this is the okay. last clip from the hearing that we're going to play. Got it. And then we'll move on. But this is this is an important one. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah, that's a new term for me. Yeah, biologics. I have no idea what biologics means. Biologics came. So you're saying the government captured some of these non-human spacecraft, and they found biologics in it. So something organic, organic. I guess light material. Light. Yeah. And now, so Mace, uh, Representative Mace, wants to clarify. Um. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, Great how question. would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Skiff. What's a skiff? I don't know. It's some lingo. It seemed like it had to be like offline. We could probably uh, yeah. Google Off it. Off the record. Off the record or something. In a closed meeting. They say that throughout the meeting. Like, ah, oh, we could talk about this in a closed remaining not open yeah and uh we there's more clips we could play not just from this meeting but just from uh, sightings that like i'm collecting like all these clips of like possible sightings and stuff like that now um but here's the point we have official government record testifying to the existence of uaps and the existence of non-human biologics whatever that exactly means it sounds a lot like alien life right (laughs) yeah and so it's a pretty big deal That's a pretty brain-shattering idea for a lot of people. And I think so. that's one of the reasons this is becoming a more popularized topic. And it's one of the reasons we need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think this is just helpful when you're having this conversation is to realize how new a lot of this is because we are more technologically advanced than ever to observe space and to explore extraterrestrial life or what's called exobiologies. And, um, one one scholar who we're going to talk about, uh, he's in Cam- he's at Cambridge, serious study of this, um, just released a book on this topic. We're going to talk more about him, but he says that 1995 is really the date that things started to change. That's when we were able to observe a planet, um, another planet orbiting a, a star. So it was outside like outside of our solar system, right? Well, outside of our, I guess, yeah, solar system. And so for the first time, it really presented this possibility that there could be habitable life somewhere else. Uh, Davison now says there's about 2 billion possible habitable planets in the Milky Way. That's just our galaxy. That's a lot. And that's determined basically on certain soil compositions, rocky and atmosphere conditions. But so that's, I mean, there's 2 billion possible places that life could emerge. Not necessarily intelligent life, but life that could emerge. Sure. And when you consider outside of our galaxy, which there's over 200 billion other galaxies. Uh Uh-huh. It's just crazy to think about. I mean, the possible habitable planets just expand from there exponentially to like 400 billion billion is what he says. Okay. So it's a lot. Uh, another thing, again, why this is so becoming more and more prominent is because in Christmas 2021, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope was launched. And this right. was like literally they launched it into space and they were able to measure stuff in the in space and to get more and more pictures of space. And uh, it will actually allow us, not us, but the scientific community <laughs> that is equipped to do this. To measure the atmospheres of other planets to see if that they're, if they're really habitable or not. Right. 
And Davison makes the point that we've only really been able to measure that data in the past year, I guess 2023. We we have, that's how recent this is. But it's also, it's exposing more of the possibility. Yeah. So we've for decades now had potential events Mm -hmm. of aliens supposedly contacting us or coming to us. We're saying Mm. it's only in the past year or so that we're not able to kind of go the other direction where we're mm-hmm. looking for them. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's just we've gotten a better better look at what's going on out there. And we see that, oh, yeah, there is a there is possible life forming habitats outside of our own. Uh-huh. So it just presents the possibility. So okay, there you, you on the on both ends of the spectrum. There you've got the popular frenzy um, of people talking about this congressional hearing and UFO sightings and or UAP sightings, and then you also have the scientific community that's like really advancing on the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Um, and I think both of these are creating a pressure point where we need to talk about this as Christians. As ministry laborers, we need to talk about this, and uh, we need to respond. We're not just talking about urban legends anymore. There's a real possibility out there. I'm not saying it's it's actually true, but we need to start getting our minds going of if this is true, because yeah. that's that's what people are. are so we're not about. here to give a definitive answer on no. do aliens exist, yes or no, but do want to start thinking critically about it. Suppose they did, would it change our theology? Would it change Uh uh, the gospel of Jesus Uh in any way? Because it would just be a a major adjustment Uh on our perception of reality. It would be. I mean, just the massiveness of space changes my perception of reality. Like, it really starts to get my mind going. But if you had alien life out there... um. It's going to change your perception of reality and therefore your understanding of God, of Jesus, the Bible, and so on. Um, So there's theological implications for this. And we actually have a few examples of how Christian thinkers and pastors are theologizing around this issue. And I want to give us a range of kind of popular treatments in this episode. Like I said, if you go to YouTube... You go to Instagram or the TikTok, as kids say it today. <laughs> they don't say that. Um, <laughs> these are some clips that I pulled. And uh, okay. I think it will give us a little bit of um, a perspective on how some Christians are popularly responding to this. So the first one I got is from a 2016 Ligonier conference. Are you familiar familiar with Ligonier? I'm not. Like R.C. Sproul's ministry? You know R.C.? No? Uh, I mean, yeah, I've heard of R.C. Sproul, but I'm not familiar with his, this organization. So it's a it's a it's like a group of kind of reformed theologians and pastors. Okay. Um, so this is the first clip I've got, one of the first ones that popped up on YouTube. 
Um, and they're asked the question, does the Bible preclude the existence of life elsewhere in the universe? And the pastor named Al Mohler answers first. The, the, the answer is no, that's speculative. Uh, what it does make very clear is that the entire cosmos was created for the drama of redemption, as Calvin said. The, the, the cosmos is a theater of God's redemption, what would take place here in order to save sinful humanity. So we have no reason to believe there's any other story out there. There's nothing in Scripture that says there can't be some form of life somewhere, but what we are told is that the cosmos was created in order that on this planet, Jesus Christ in space and time and history would come to save sinful humanity. Okay. Some initial reactions to that one, Denver. Moeller's response. Um, I mean, yeah, the idea of speculation. Uh-huh. He, he calls the question speculative, which, I mean, it is speculative in the sense that it's hypothetical, right? Like, we don't yeah. have concrete evidence, at least not evidence that we have access to that hasn't been hidden by our government <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, to the existence um uh-huh. of aliens but that shouldn't be an excuse to blow off the question or to blow off the discussion yeah. right uh-huh. we should still think critically about it i think i think what bothers me about Mueller's response is that it is very dismissive like you said he kind of dismisses the speculation um and i i do want to give him the benefit of the doubt it's in 2016 we're not you know, the the pressure is not as high as it is today, like we've documented with, there's a congressional meeting about this, it's more in the public sphere, uh, science is making some important advancements. So, I mean, even though this was like seven years ago, it is a lot's happened in the past seven years around this conversation. So he's dismissive about it, but also I think, you know, he talks about how um, the story of Jesus and the human story is for the cosmos. And I just, I mean, we don't, we don't use the word cosmos very often today. Do we, we usually use words like universe or, you know, Uh um, I mean the ancient Israelites and the new Testament authors, they, I mean, clearly didn't have the same knowledge of the universe that we have today. But when they say cosmos, I mean, the gist of what they would be saying is like, all that exists, right? I get what he's saying because the the Bible talks about how Jesus is king, not simply over Israel, but also over the whole world and the whole cosmos. And, you know, I'm thinking Philippians 2, that every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And what they're describing there, what Paul's describing there is the three-tiered universe as they understood it, of everything. And so, Moeller is expanding that, uh, to the whole universe as we know it. And we just have to recognize that that's what we're doing. We have to admit that we're expanding what the biblical writers thought of as the cosmos to uh, what we think of as the cosmos. And there's just some translation work there that's happening that we need to recognize. Um, And I think, you know... This is what I see in other other responses in the Christian tradition is there's not thoughtful biblical translation with this topic. Sure. Instead, Can you give an we, example? <laughs> yeah, I think other examples here in, in the clips that I have will help understand what I'm trying to say. 
Okay. Because here's, um, in the same panel, you have somebody who's going to um, uh, basically point to something in Scripture and, and say, oh yeah, we we can understand aliens and the prospect of it because they are in Scripture. And here we go. Here's, here's one clip. Okay. In fact, we know there's extraterrestrial life. There are angels. Don't they count? Why do people never talk about the angels? You just did. So that's, that's responding to the same question. Does the Bible preclude the existence of alien life or extraterrestrial life? And W. Robert Godfrey basically says, mm-hmm. yeah, we already have a category for this. There's extraterrestrials in the Bible. It's angels. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on the one hand, like I see his point that extraterrestrial in the sense of, you know, not of earth, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. humans are the earth walkers, you know, the thing we're part of this, cre- these creatures that live and walk on the earth as opposed to in the waters or in the skies. And whereas in the story, uh, the biblical story, you know, it's not using the language of aliens, like coming from another planet. Obviously they're not, they're not even necessarily aware that there is such a thing as another planet. Right. right? Um, but they do have a category for beings that are intelligent and have personhood, but are not human. Right. It Angels do give us that category. So there's a category, but to equate it to aliens, like I think it's to, it's to sidestep the question, because the question isn't, is there such thing as a, a being that has personhood that's not a human? <laughs> The, yeah, the question exactly. is like, what if we there's like physical biological life, right, from another planet somewhere out there, right? That's the question being asked. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think that's I see this all the time in these responses by Christians. They try to find a category within Scripture to account for alien life, uh, and it's almost like they're trying to fit aliens and extraterrestrial life into the bible here's another sure. clip from this is from the uh from tiktok Ooh. um yeah i don't have a tiktok someone sent me this and uh, okay. I, I guess you can you can access tiktok on the web but um i have heard you can access it on the web <laughs> that's another tip out there for ministry <laughs> labor um but this is from uh I don't know what this is, Lionheart Church. I don't know if that's a real church or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he references aliens as one, he's trying to find aliens in the Bible, and he turns to Ephesians 6. He says that okay. right there. Here we go. Oh, Absolutely boy. aliens exist, but the Bible doesn't use the word aliens. It talks about four classes of beings that exist that are not human. According to Ephesians 6.12, these are the four types of classes of beings. Number one, evil rulers. Number two, authorities of the unseen world. So the Bible lets you know there's another world that exists, but you can't see it. Number three, mighty powers in this dark world. And number four, evil spirits in heavenly places. That word heavenly means outer space. These are four classes of beings that exist but we call them aliens. The Bible calls them rulers and evil spirits. Wow. All right, give me That's your... That's conclusive. <laughs> it's conclusive. Well, the Bible talks about aliens. We call them aliens. I like... Uh, man, I like the tone. It makes it seem very ominous, the ways. Yeah. Dark. 
world. Evil rulers. It's very ominous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like you're saying, this idea of trying to fit modern categories into the Bible. Um, I mean, it reminds me a lot of what people do with like dinosaurs. So yes, great people example. Who, people who advocate for like a young Earth and mm. uh, who who need to show how humans were aware of dinosaurs because they coexisted with them and all that like they will find verses in the old testament that they say are about dinosaurs mm-hmm. um even yeah. though they didn't know about dinosaurs back then uh, you know and i think we've only like we only like discovered dinosaurs like what like a few hundred years ago I i'm no pretty idea. sure that's another episode. Um, that's another episode for us to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that idea of like trying to fit a, a, yeah. a square peg into a round hole. Right. Of saying like this is what it's talking about. It's talking about it. It addresses it because we have this need where we feel like the Bible has to address everything. Yep. Exactly. Because it's sufficient, right, for uh, uh-huh. life and godliness. and But I don't think that necessarily means it has to address all of our experiences, every phenomenon that right. we encounter, you know. Yeah, it, there's an assumption of Scripture here about the nature of Scripture and what it yeah. is that is it is operating or that's that's motivating this type of response. And I think that's the thing that um, pastorally and in terms of ministry we should be aware of, right? right. Because when people come and they have this anxiety about, okay, if aliens are real, the Bible needs to, why doesn't the Bible talk about it? Right? right? Like, this could destroy the biblical witness if aliens are real. And I think that's that's one of these responses that we're seeing with, uh-huh. okay, yeah, we can find, they talk about it, they just don't call them aliens. And so what I think we, we can do is name that anxiety, that fear, and then start to say, why do you assume that's the case? Why do you assume that the Bible has to exhaustively speak to everything? And then we can give some basic examples. Dinosaurs isn't a good one, I guess, because people still are trying to find dinosaurs in the Bible and they locate it with the behemoth and the Leviathan. They're like, that's a dinosaur. Those probably are not dinosaurs, just to say uh, a side note. But, you know, things like there's, there's things in the Bible. There are tons of things that are not in the Bible. Like modern plumbing it's not yeah. in the Bible. Or TikTok. TikTok is not in the Bible. And these are or silly examples. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and these are silly examples, but also think from back in that time, like, um, you know, we know about ancient American uh, Indians, like the Mayans. Those aren't in the Bible. Yeah. Or, you know, China. China's not in the Bible. Um or ancient Asian dynasties, they're not in the Bible. I mean, that's a big part of what was going on in the world. Yeah. But the Bible doesn't yeah. speak to those things. But maybe that's that's part of the problem is that as um, we don't think about those things as being relevant to us, and so we don't feel the need to find it in the Bible. You know, like, mm. if I... So, living in... In Asia, in the broad sense, um, it's interesting how different people groups 
will find themselves in the scriptures once they come mm. to faith. So they'll say, you know, oh, if you look at, you know, this book, you'll see a reference, and that is a reference to our people, you know, whether that's mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, uh, who the Ethiopians were in the Old Testament, or, I mean, it's not Asia, that's Africa, but, um, or Indians, mm-hmm. um, uh, like finding a reference to them in Esther, which could be totally oh. legitimate, All or right. like, or some people in Central Asia saying, you know, oh, we are the Magi. We're the Magi who went to visit Jesus oh, from the East. Right. That's, yeah. that's from our people. So it is interesting that it depends on where you're located culturally, what you look for in the Bible. And I think maybe the thing about aliens is it seems, for a lot of people, it seems like this existential threat. Mm. And and it's been ingrained in us through Hollywood, through like movies and um, films and stories and books that it's become so much a part of our culture that uh-huh. we're convinced that if we found extraterrestrial life, that it would be an existential threat, like, oh, they're going to try that's to true. kill us or conquer us. Like, that's what's going to happen. When in reality, an extraterrestrial life could be, like, literally a little tree somewhere on another planet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it's not necessarily. But I think we're talking about intelligent life, I guess. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm At this point, I'm kind of just ranting, but... Yeah, I think the point is um, there's there's this assumption that the Bible would need to speak to it. Um, right. And the Bible doesn't have to explicitly speak to something to be relevant for towards it. Yeah, because um, that's the other side of the conversation, right? It's, we can't just blow it off and say, oh, the Bible doesn't mention them, so it has yep. nothing to say. It has, has no part in the conversation. And it does. It has a lot to say in the conversation. Um, which we'll talk about more in our second part of the episode, but okay. not in terms, not the Bible doesn't speak to this in terms of um, metaphorical masking of extraterrestrials mm. or aliens. Like it's not speaking of extraterrestrials in the metaphor of angels. Like mm. angels is not a metaphor for extraterrestrials or aliens. Right. I, I right. don't think that's helpful. Um, and and you, when you start to go down that track, things get real slippery, real quick. <laughs> and one of the best examples of what um, I would call slippery slopes of biblical, <laughs> um, I guess, uh, translation of this is from this guy named uh, Matt Brown. He's a pastor. I don't know him. But again, I type into YouTube, alien and the Bible and Christianity, and this is one of the clips that came up. So that's where we're at. Here's right. here's a good clip. Is there life out there beyond Earth? That's that was. That's, I know it's a tough one. Yeah, no. Does it say it. anything in the Bible about that at all? Yeah, sure. John, Aliens, yeah, or whatever. That yeah. however you want to phrase yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, what is Jesus? He's extraterrestrial. He's not from here. I mean, it always mm-hmm. it always blows my mind that Christians don't connect that. Uh, Ephesians hmm. chapter six, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers of the spirit and the air. Mm-hmm. When I first heard this clip, I literally was like, what? <laughs> also, Ephesians six seems to be like, we didn't know it, but it's all about aliens. Uh. I would have known. But how, how does that hit you when he says, yeah, Jesus was an extraterrestrial? 
I don't know. Something within me reacts strongly against that, I think, <laughs> because like the whole point of the biblical story is that Jesus is a terrestrial, like that he oh. became human. Like that's actually really important that Jesus is one of us. Oh, um, so important. So to, to label him as an extraterrestrial, I think is, yeah, like you said, a slippery slope. That's really, I think, unhelpful. Very unhelpful. And the fact that he's like, it just blows my mind that Christians don't connect this. Yeah. Like, and again, it's missing the question. The question isn't, is there one extraterrestrial out there that <laughs> has come to Earth? The question is like, is is beyond that. It's more concrete than that, right? It's, is yeah. there biological life that has personhood outside of our planet, our solar system. And so to kind of Jesus juke it, <laughs> say in the well, worst Jesus of ways is an alien. Yeah, like that that doesn't contribute anything to the conversation, I don't think. Nope. But that is um Andrew Davison, uh the Cambridge scholar who's doing a lot of work on this, says this is one of the major theological implications, uh the person and nature of Jesus, Christology. Like, what does this do for uh, the incarnation? Is there mul- uh, is there multiple incarnations? Is there just one incarnation that applies to um, all life el- everywhere or what? Yeah. So for him to, like you said, just kind of really do a rough shot over the incarnation um, and yeah. just apply it to this category of extraterrestrial life, man, it's just, it, it tells me that I don't think he's thinking deeply about this enough and that's where this is my my encouragement my call my prayer for pastors and ministry laborers is just think deeply about these things Mm -hmm. um and don't be so casual with it because if you start messing with christology you also start messing with soteriology the study of salvation and the implications that that has and uh as you go on in this clip matt brown has something to say about that as well so Let's listen to this one. You know, if, if aliens are real and they visit us, I'm going to need you to tithe a little more because our missions budget just has to go way up, <laughs> you know, because because Jesus is not just the savior of the earth. <laughs> He's the savior of the cosmos. God really? is making so, all so. things right. So when you when you read the Bible, it says when Jesus Christ comes again, he will restore things. Listen to these words in heaven and on earth. Hmm. Huh. So it doesn't just say on earth, everything is broken. All of creation oh, is broken in heaven? because there was a rebellion in heaven. Yeah. So, First of all, this was my, this was my thought that every kind of um, uh, great commission Baptist, as soon as they hear about aliens, they're going to be like, well, increase the mission. <laughs> or <laughs> we need, we need to start planting churches on Mars. Or start know? stockpiling ammo. <laughs> take, take them out before they take us out. <laughs> But so that's what between he said. those two reactions, this one's the more noble. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, he just assumes that, okay, yeah, then we need to evangelize aliens. Yeah, but don't we? I mean... <laughs> I mean, you're the missionary. Come on, Denver. You, yeah, you tell me. Yeah, I mean, me. I definitely don't think I want that as part of my job. Um, <laughs> to, we already have enough on our hands. But it does, it, it ramps up the particularity of the gospel message right Mm -hmm. the exclusivity of the gospel message that i mean it's already a big claim to say the the jewish messiah right jesus um who is the god of israel a particular nation Mm -hmm. incarnate 
um, creator of the universe, but the God of Israel. Um, he's actually the savior of all the nations of the world, and he's been given authority over all the nations. Uh-huh. Um, that's already a pretty uh, big claim. So when we show up on, you know, islands that, you know, have never heard the name of Jesus before, and we tell them, oh, you need to know about this guy, that, you know, he's he's the ruler, he's the creator, and he he's the savior. Um, of the and, whole world. In one sense, yeah, in one sense, there's already a scandal of particularity mm. going on there. Yep, all um, right. And so it is interesting to think about, okay, so what if there's beings with personhood on another planet, and, it you know, did they not need... Jesus, yeah. Uh, is Jesus not the ruler of that planet? Does his authority stop at the edge of the solar solar system or at the edge of our uh, atmosphere? Or yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's definitely a silly thought, you know, of saying like let's load a rocket ship with gospel tracks and <laughs> launch it into space. <laughs> uh, but it does bring to the forefront that question of particularity and that scandal yep. of particularity. I mean, imagine if an alien showed up on our planet. And said, right. "Hey, you actually you're you're created by the God of our planet, and not just the God of our planet, a, a, the God of a particular nation on our planet is uh-huh. the creator of your planet and of you, and you need to worship Him. I mean, we would be pretty scandalized by that. Yeah, <laughs> we'd probably react pretty strongly against it. But Jesus is the King of Heaven and Earth, like they said in the clip. I don't know." <laughs> You put, how do you push back on that, Taylor? I think, uh, again, it's a translation. So when he says heavens, uh-huh. he immediately, as, as a modern sensibility and perception of the world, he's thinking outer space. I don't think the biblical writers are thinking of outer space. I'm thinking, I think they're thinking of the sky. Yeah, which and, includes, you know, stars and planets, even though they don't know what those, they don't have the same idea of what those are, uh-huh. things are. To them, those are spiritual beings that are right. up there producing light, but does include that. So it includes non-human beings. That's that's what I was going to say. I think when they talk about heaven um, in, in Scripture, there's kind of like three uses of heavens in Scripture. One is just the skies. Second as the space where God dwells and other spiritual be- yeah. beings dwell. And that is non-human space. Like human space is earth, ground, yeah. uh, you know, land. And non-human space for spiritual beings, which there's there's more than just angels, there's other classes of spiritual beings, um, is they live in the heavens. But that's a it's a non-material type sure. of space and dwelling. Yeah. Um, and so I do think he's right when he says that heavens are included in the realm of Jesus's salvation because of there's these other spiritual beings that um, have rebelled and need to be fit back in to God's rule and God's reign. I just, again, to then say, okay, aliens are included in that. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And either wherever you fall on it, you're going to have to extrapolate because it's not addressed. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that there's no command in the New Testament to evangelize angels. There's no command to evangelize yep. non-human beings. 
Um, there's the idea that all of creation is groaning and waiting for a new creation. But as far as the call to repent and believe and follow mm-hmm. Jesus, that seems to be an exclusively human endeavor of mm-hmm. discipleship. Like mm-hmm. we care for creation, but we don't like disciple and evangelize creation in the sense of like, if we found a new species of animals on, you know, in Australia or something, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be this need to go evangelize them. Now, again, we're talking about beings that have personhood and intelligence. Um, but yeah, we don't have an example of being commanded to evangelize non-humans. But what we're doing right now, we've already slipped into it. We're starting Please. to, yeah. we're starting to theologize about all of this. Yeah. Um, and I think the two things that I want to kind of end with here is, one, I think there's a bad way to react to this, which is to try and fit aliens into the Bible, and and uh, just make it work in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that's one thing that we've seen is that there needs to be more work done than just applying biblical categories to aliens. And that may be some um, listener's initial response. And when maybe a congregant comes up or someone they're ministering to is asking this question, um, you might feel the response, the need to the need to respond in a way that justifies the Bible as speaking to aliens, and I don't think that's the way to respond. Um, Instead, what we need to do is what, Denver, you and I have already started to do, is to say, okay, what's the biblical story? What are the big kind of concepts in the Bible? What do we know about God? What do we know about humanity? What do we know about, you know, Jesus and salvation and all this? And then we need to exercise wisdom and thoughtfulness in really trying to see um, how scripture is relevant to this topic. And yeah. that requires work, uh-huh. deep work. Um, and that's where I'm really, really excited about what this conversation can, can do for the church. Um, because theology is at its best when it's allowing the cultural moment um, and new experiences and and things like this to prompt us to ask familiar questions again. Like, who is Jesus? What's the nature of the incarnation? What does it mean that humanity is in the image of God? Mm-hmm. Um, what does this mean for evangelism? And what about the particularity of Jesus and how that relates to the world? Like, as weird and as funny as it sounds, the prospect of aliens prompts us to ask those questions and to really dive into them. Yeah, whether or not they exist, it's the whether, questions yeah. that are really helpful. Yes, and so that's where I think if you have someone in your congregation that's asking about aliens, there's an opportunity for discipleship. It's it's yeah. weird and bizarre, but there's an opportunity yeah. for them to, I think, understand God and Jesus more and yeah. humanity and all this stuff. Yeah, um, and the same could be said for other, you know, cultural conversations like yep. AI or oh, whatever yeah. it might be. I mean, 
it can lead to it it can lead to really unhelpful conversations. <laughs> we go off the deep end and obsess over it and all that. Let fear mm-hmm. get the better of us. But it can also, like you're saying, lead to really good conversations because of the questions that it it provokes in us. So, yeah. you know, right now we've left off with um we've we've tried to make a case for why it's important to have the conversation. We've showcased, I think, some bad examples of how to respond to it. And I want to give um, ministry laborers a few examples of good ways to respond to it. And as I've looked through, um, you know, this, uh, this topic, I was really on the hunt for where are scholars actually taking this seriously, you know? And um, I even asked around to some professors like, Hey, do you know of anybody that's taking this seriously and stuff like that? But I've, I've found too, that I think, they're different perspectives, but they're both taking it seriously. And I think they can give us some examples of what it means to to theologize around this. Okay. Um, one, I've mentioned them both already. Michael Heiser um, just recently passed away, actually, from cancer. Uh-huh. He's a great scholar of the Old Testament, Semitic languages. Um, I think one of his most popular books uh, is The Unseen Realm. Uh, he worked yeah. a lot with Logos Bible software. And then the other one is Andrew Davison. Uh, he is one of the foremost scholars working um, between theology, philosophy, and natural sciences at the University of Cambridge. Okay. Like he's taken this stuff seriously. And I've started reading his book called Astrobiology and Christian Doctrine. And it Sounds is. Sounds dense. dense. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Um, but basically that's what he does. He allows this question, this possibility, um, to prompt theological engagement on issues of creation, on issues of the image of God, of the incarnation, eschatology. And he, he really leans in and, uh, he comes at it from a, um, Thomistic perspective, which is, um, informed by Thomas Aquinas. Okay. But uh, those are two guys that I just want to survey how they're theologizing around this for ministry laborers in part two of this episode so that yeah. people can see and uh, hopefully be benefited from it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another, if I can make a, a suggestion, a recommendation, a, yeah. a narr- narrative approach to this topic, maybe people could read before next time because it's real, they're real. The first two are really short is the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. So yes, this that's that is a theological treatment of this of this question is. in many ways. Yeah, he, yeah, this hypothetical situation where someone lands on, I think he sets it on planets in our solar system, like mm-hmm. if Mars and Venus, I think maybe. Um, but the first two books, Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra, they explore like, what if there was sentient, intelligent life? That's the word I was trying to find earlier sentient, sentient. i kept yes. saying creatures with personhood sentient um <laughs> creatures with being or with will and intellect yeah yeah exactly so the first one it's like what if there's a planet and there's multiple kinds of intelligent life it's not just one species that's intelligent that's the first one i believe and then the second one perlanda is what if there's a planet that hasn't yet experienced the fall what if they're mm-hmm. um, still living in some kind of because that's a big one, like, Paradise. Are, yeah. you know, are they fallen like we yeah. are or not? Yeah. That's a great one. I think 
then those are three good examples. Denver. C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy really gets at the imagination of this exercise, our theological imaginations. Yeah. Michael Heiser, who comes from really a, um, a biblical scholarship lens. Yeah. And then Andrew Davison, I think, is going to come at it more. He, he does more from a philosophical and theological yeah. um, Thomistic perspective. So those are three great options. Yeah, pick your poison. Yeah. So we're going to try to summarize each next time. All right. Lewis, Heiser, Davison. Okay. Sounds good. You're in charge of Lewis. <laughs> All right. Part two. Yeah. Bringing in C.S. Lewis. Cool. Wondered how long it was going to take us to bring him into this podcast. Yeah. Making that's... his debut on Aliens. <laughs> of all the things he could be, be um, a spokesperson on, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Wow. Well, I never really thought that we would have an episode on this, but I think it will be. We're going to have two. <laughs> It'll be good. All right. See you next time. Yep. Well, that concludes our episode for this week. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we hope you gleaned some, some good insight for your ministry or your scholarship or hopefully both because it's really our goal here at The Learning Labors to create a space uh, where ministry experience and scholarship can overlap uh, in the lives of individual people like you. Uh, so we want to thank you for listening. We want to thank everyone who supports us and helps make the podcast possible. If you're interested in supporting our efforts, check out our Patreon link and the show notes where you can sign up to join us for as little as $3 per month. It's our prayer that through this content, more laborers in the fields of ministry can feel resourced to point their people to Jesus through their study of scripture. So continue to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts.